There's a cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a code of silence and it can't go on. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on March the 8th, 2010. For newcomers to the show, you should look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. Scroll down and bookmark all the other sites I have up there. There's CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com, .org, .net, .us, .ca. There's Alan Watt, CuttingThroughTheMatrix.ca. There's CuttingThrough.Jenkness.com. And lastly, there's Alan Watt Sentient, sentinel.eu, the European site. The last one has all the same audios for download all the shows I've done over the last few years for free. And you can also choose on that site uh, transcripts of the talks. It's a lot of the talks I've given and choose from the various languages of Europe. And remember, you are the audience that bring me to you. I rely upon you to keep me going because I don't take money for, from advertisers. Therefore, it's up to you to keep me going. The ads you hear on this show pay, are paid by the advertisers directly to RBN for the airtime, for their staff and equipment and their bills and transmission. So you must keep me going if you want to hear me at all. And you can do so by buying the books and so on I have for sale at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. You can use personal checks from the U.S. to Canada. You can also use... Um, Western Union, MoneyGram. You can use PayPal as well to donate as, as to order too. If you want to order anything through PayPal abroad or in the U.S. or Canada, just send a separate email along with the PayPal donation and I'll get the order out to you. And as I say, outside the Americas, same idea. You can always use PayPal, MoneyGram, Western Union or cash. Some people just send straight cash. Also in the U.S., you can use an international postal money order from your post office. But you've got to stress it's the international one you want, the sort of pink uh, communist-bordered one, not the green, interna- uh, green internal one. It's going to be the international one, so don't forget if you do go to the post office. Once in a while, I get one I have to send back, and I can't cash it here if it's green. And for those who get the disc burned and passed to them, you can get in touch with me by writing to Alan Watt, Site 41, Box 4, Estaire, which is E-S-T-A-I-R-E, Ontario, Canada. And the postal code is P for Peter, the number 3, E for Elizabeth, the number 4, N for Nora, 1, P3E4N1. And that's that. And it's an amazing time to be alive, really, isn't it, when we're, we're going through such rushed changes in the world, rushed only because they're being implemented. They were planned a long time ago. Uh, bureaucracies and international bureaucracies, and we have them today, all networking together, uh, take many, many years to uh, get uh, bureaucrats working on, and the lawyers and all the rest of it, working on guidelines and uh, systems to bring in this new system. It, it literally took uh, pretty well 50 years of uh, 
negotiations between governments to bring in this world order that we're now being rushed through, including the takedown, the austerity part, which is poverty really, to bring down the first world countries and supposedly bring up the third world countries and we're supposed to meet somewhere with a happy medium in the middle. But really all you have to do is to go into all the writings from the United Nations, especially at its start-up, and you'll find out they had it all planned back then including the takedown, including even a world health care system where every citizen is guaranteed the most basic minimal health care possible. I'm not kidding about that. They actually said that. And that's where we're heading today. It's not because governments are broke. How can you be broke when you can go off and fight wars? How can you be broke and still tax the public for new taxes for spreading across the planet? Of course they're not broke. Can't be broke till we're up, but we don't have a penny left in our pockets, obviously. We'll be back with more after this break. I'm Alan Watt, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix. Just saying, how, how on earth can uh, uh, these countries keep taxing us and taxing us and taxing us? Uh, with new schemes and global schemes to supposedly share the, the wealth uh, across the planet, which, of course, is nonsense because it's just part of the old Communist Manifesto, a system uh, devised by those who play the dialectical game. You've got to have two sides apparently fighting each other to have compromise and bring in the new. That's how it works. But Marx himself said that uh, one of the planks of the manifesto was to basically redistribute, redistribute the wealth uh, across the world, from the rich nations to the poor. And that's what we've heard all through this carbon nonsense uh, to do with carbon trading and the meeting they had at Copenhagen, to, which is really just a continuation of the Kyoto Treaty, uh, a, a method to bring all of this to pass. Now, at the Copenhagen meeting, they say that they failed to get an agreement on just how much every country would pay. But it's not quite true. Uh, the countries all agreed with the most important thing of all, that was to sign every other bill that comes along with the next meeting. That's what they really agreed upon, and that was very important. But it's not good enough right now. They want the cash right now to get it all going, an interim fund, as they call it. And the head of the International Monetary Fund it came out the other day and uh, suggested how it's going to happen. Meanwhile, mind you, they're churning out a paper later this week on exactly how it will be done, and all the governments will sign on to that, and then you're going to cough up more cash and more cash in the meantime. Now, what is the International Monetary Fund? It's it's, it's classified, supposedly, as uh, an organization which uh, is based on a foundation that acts like a bank with its own investments across the planet. Well, I'd love to know exactly what investments they're talking about because really it's comprised of the world's international banking families, the same ones that lend to all other countries. They lend to these countries through your countries, and here's how it works. Uh, They have some country, say in Africa or somewhere, who want a loan. Uh, Canada then is approached, and the the government of Canada, that you didn't think was a banker. It doesn't seem to be any constitution or anything that your government's actually in the banking business, but it seems to be. They then sign the loan through the IMF, or they borrow the money from the IMF to give the loan to Africa, but they sign the taxpayers of Canada down as the guarantors. And that way, every two or three years, they get a famous pop star to come out and say, well, the third world can't pay back their loan, 
what will we do? They're so poor. So then the government goes through this farce and, and charades of uh, saying, that's true, we'll forgive them their debt. And, and no one thinks anything beyond that. They don't realize, no, Canada borrowed that money that they now they gave to that country, and the taxpayers of Canada are going to pay off that debt, and the International Monetary Fund just loves this scam. They lo- they've been doing this since World War II, since they set it up, this organization. And then when your country's in trouble, the IMF comes in, and they take over everything to do with economics in your country. And the first thing that goes down the drain is health care. They always cut health care, slash it to save cash while they get their pennies back, you see. And um, they've done that in a few countries. And each, each place they've done it, you've had outbreaks of TB because people can't afford the medications and all the rest of it. or are simply not available. This sort of thing happens with this wonderful international monetary fund that goes under the umbrella of the United Nations. Well, here's what they said about uh, this new interim uh, robbery uh, that's going to be paid by all the governments at, uh, in lieu of the carbon taxes until they can get them all going. And this, uh, this, was from, um, this article here was from the Associated Press. Nairobi, Kenya, the head of the International Monetary Fund on Monday proposed a plan for the world's governments to pool together to raise money needed to adapt to Changes in the weather, changeable weather, I call it, you see. A rare step for an organization that normally does not develop environmental policies. Well, why not? They're into everything else. Check them up. You'd be surprised. They're into everything. When Thatcher was in, in fact, they were brought into Britain because Britain owed so much money. And the IMF was deciding where to slash and burn. And who suffered? Well, the British people as they coughed up more and more taxes. Back to the article, IMF Managing Director Dominique Strauss-Kahn said the fund is concerned about the huge amounts of funding needed and the effect that it will have on the global economy. He added that the proposal may help efforts to reach a binding agreement on climate change later this year. This is when they sign all the, 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 the next uh, bunch of taxes of, on carbon. Strauss-Kahn proposed that countries adopt a quota system similar to the one the fund uses to raise its own money, which could bring in money faster than proposals to increase carbon taxes or other fundraising methods. In other words, you see, we all pay money already uh, through various uh, United Nations agreements to the IMF for nothing. We get nothing back at all except more debt eventually to loan that out to other countries that default. And it says he only provided a broad outline of the plan as the organization will release a paper later this week with full details. It's unclear how the proposal will be received. Well, most folk will just go and play, you know, and watch their videos and much music, I guess. The IMF raises funds from its 185 members, mainly through a quota system, based broadly on the size of each country's economic uh, system. The United States is currently the largest. I love how they say shareholder. (laughs) Shareholder, yeah. We all know that carbon taxes and other fundraising methods will take time, and we don't have this time. So we need something which looks like an interim solution, which will bridge the gap between now and the time when those carbon taxes will be big enough to solve the problem. That's where we solve the problem by, uh, it's not just spraying the skies. What they're going to do is spray the skies with cash. I guess that's how they, this is going to solve the problem. Maybe they're going to create a, a screen of, of dollar bills across the sky to stop the UV coming in or something. Who knows, some, some farce like that. Anyway, he said a climate change accord reached last December estimated $100 billion a year per year. 
will be needed by 2020 fund programs, including those to help poor nations. You know, the IMF have kept the poor nations poor since they got in the business of keeping them poor. And they'll continue to do it because they don't want them, number one, to breed. They've made that quite clear. Bill Gates, is all, most of his, his cash that he gets out to all charities is for abortions in those countries and sterilizations. And they don't want them breeding, according to Kissinger, who came up with that bill when he was in the U.S. Uh, Congress, or, or actually he was in the U.S., uh, he was right next to the, the president at the time. And he says that the Third World Nations were the mo- most dangerous uh, thing to do with the state, the state of the nation, so that it'd bring down the populations of those countries. Now, they're not going to make them prosperous and uh, fertile at the same time. And then it's, it's gone on here about flooding, food shortages expected to be caused by changeable weather. Nations failed to reach a binding agreement in Copenhagen in December, but agreed on a voluntary plan to control greenhouse gas emissions, another buzzword that means nothing, which are blamed for the gradual heating of the earth that scientists predict will worsen weather-related disasters, even though it's all bogus. The accord, however, included collective commitments by rich countries to provide billions of dollars to help poor countries adapt to climate change, a major demand the poor nations had made. It's astonishing. I just heard in Chicago there that their, their bankruptcies and defaults on homeowners uh, are up at, at to 34% in some areas. Now, it's still going on. So I guess that's a rich nation, you know. So that's what's coming to, as I say, just more gouging of the public as they equalize the world into standardized poverty. Standardized poverty, because that's what it's all about. Now, here's an article here about the fat cats in the carbon trading scheme already, and this is quite an interesting article. I'll put, I'll put these links up, remember, at the end of the show on my website, CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. It says, EU's carbon fat cats get rich of trading scheme study, March the 5th. Uh, and then it says here, Europe's system for industrial carbon quotas has enriched the continent's biggest polluters with 10 firms re- reaping permits for 2008 alone. There's just 10 firms worth 500 million euros, a new report revealed. Dominated by steel and cement makers, the same carbon fat cats stand to collect surplus CO2 permits that at current market rates could be worth 3.2 billion euros or $4.3 billion by 2012, it said. So they put 500 million in and they come back with $4.3 billion. That's not bad profit. Good work if you can get it, right? Since this is roughly the equivalent to the entire EU investment in renewable energy and clean technology under its economic recovery plan, which is a farce as well. How can you recover when you're going to cut back all energy consumption and put up the occasional windmill? It's according to Sandbag, a non-profit group in Britain that analyzes carbon market policy. Emissions trading is meant to be the central policy for cutting CO2 levels, said Anna Pearson, Sandbag's top policy analyst. The fact that companies are able to make large sums of money for doing nothing highlights that the trading scheme must be reformed and EU climate change targets strengthened. So they're all for the climate nonsense and the CO2 nonsense and the big cash nonsense. They just don't want the other fat cats getting fat off it. 
It's a free-for-all. And by the way, all these characters and these big corporations were given all their carbon uh, credits that they're going to trade with each other. They're now trading with each other. Um, they, they got them all for free as a gift by the EU Parliament to get it started. Isn't that just wonderful? How would you mind winning the lotto every day? What would you think of that? Eh? That's the reality of it, the farce of it all. The farce of it all, eh? And then we find out, too, the, the London Met office, that's the, Met, the, the, the ones who deal with the, the climate change nonsense as well for the, for, the, for the government and for the BBC and all that stuff, and who have always been wrong and were reported last week uh, that uh, some of their contracts might not be renewed, but they will be renewed um, because of all the fake predictions they made and all the scares they made that never came true, plus the fact they were all in on these uh, fake emails and going along with them too quite happily to get more money. Met Office gets £12 million bonuses after they were disgraced, right? And it's from the Telegraph, 27th of February, 2010. It says, forecasters were lambasted after the predictions of a barbecue summer turned into a washout. This was followed by forecasts of a mild winter, which has turned out to be one of the coldest on record. The Met Office could be dropped by the BBC for the first time in 90 years. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix. Just talking about the, the bonuses that the Met Office is getting, the ones who give out fake reports and so on, along with the University of East Anglia. And they were involved with the scam emails and all the rest of it, but they also uh, give reports for the BBC. And of course, that won't, they won't be let down because uh, the BBC looks after its old established friends. But it says here they may, be, they may be dropped for the first time in 90 years from the BBC when its contract expires in April. But it's not to be, obviously, because they're getting a bonus. So they've done something right, and that was to scare the bejesus out of the public. And that's what the BBC is all about, too, apart from altering the culture into total degeneration. It says here, however, staff members, including television presenters employed by the Met Office, received average bonuses of nearly £1,500 each in the past year. The bonuses were revealed in a parliamentary answer by Kevin Jones, Defence Minister. He said staff at the Weather Forecasting Service were handed a total of £12,329,000 between 2004 and 2009. In the last year alone, staff received a total of £2.7 to £2 million, pounds, or £1,485 per staff member. That's not a bad boost from your salary, but lying does pay, you know. And there's a big agenda at work here. So that's the nonsense for them. They're rewarding the guys that are in on the scam because, you see, the whole, this whole world agenda to bring us all down into a new austere, austerity uh, type of existence is all based on the con game of global warming. And all the lies that they put into that will not go out the window. They'll keep them going, even if the world turns into an ice age. It'll keep going. And here's another article here, too, as the big fat cats pay themselves. As we're all plundered with the bankers, the same bankers, by the way, that work with the IMF, uh, who want us all to pay the, the interim carbon taxes in the billions of dollars, here's... 
the Royal Bank of Scotland, actually, which is 80% or 85% owned by the British government. It says, um, well, actually, it's the HSBC boss, Michael uh, Cogan, paid £800,000 a year, per year, if he moves to the Hong Kong branch. HSBC will pay Michael Cogan, chief executive, an executive £800,000 a year in allowances. How is that? Imagine allowances for £800,000 a year, eh? And benefits in kind, also benefits as well, for moving his family from London to Hong Kong. These are, these are, what, these are the banks that were, are getting bailed out after screwing all the public out of all their savings and everything. This is the 4th of March 2010 from the Telegraph. The allowance element of £300,000 a year for family disruption. Oh my goodness, family disruption. Maybe they missed their high tea or something. It's likely to infuriate shareholders who recently rejected the bank's plans to award Mr. Coigan's a pay rise of almost 40%. The allowance in recognition of the additional cost of living in Hong Kong is almost equivalent to the estimated £350,000 salary increase planned. Oh, isn't that a coincidence? So if he can't get his, 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 his pay increase, just give it through, you know, it's through this way, this method. It's just the same anyway. His allowance does not include housing, children's education, or travel costs. Those will come under benefits in kind. That will pay for his housing and, and all the rest of it, and his children's education. And I expect to be in excess of £500,000, <laughs> which the, ES, the HSBC said are normal within this location compared with the £57,000 he received in 2009. Ah, oh, dear, eh? So Mr. Kogan has taken over from Vincent Cheng as chairman of the Hong Kong Bank. Mr. Cheng received £663,000 of benefits last year. The only other executive, HSBC, expatriate Sandy Flockert, received £437,000 of benefits. According to the bank, Mr. Kogan declined an agreed pay raise, but has received assurances that he will get one next year, along with his, this as well, he get this on the side as well. Not bad for some. Good, good work if you can get it, isn't it? And the old school tie works wonders in the British Commonwealth still today. Just fantastic. Meanwhile, the public, what have they got to face? Good news? Well, fuel bills will pay for eco-upgrades. And that's from the Telegraph, March the 3rd. Ed Miliband, oh, what a character this is too. He's, he's got relatives all over communist so, uh, Russia, the old ex-communist regime who, that actually worked for them. And here he is running the British government. Ed Miliband, the Energy and Climate Change Secretary, said 7 million homes will have insulation or renewable energy devices like solar panels fitted by 2020. Energy companies will work with local authorities to carry out an ambitious refurbishment program street by street and house by house, he says. Mr. Milburn admitted households will pay around £50 per year to subsidise the nationwide scheme through fuel bills. In other words, they'll start this in 20 years' time, but they're going to start taxing you for it now. (laughs) £50 per year to subsidise the nationwide scheme through fuel bills, but insisted that this would be outweighed by savings in the long term. Oh, they always give you that rubbish, eh? But Peter Vickery-Smith, chief executive of which said the government are not in a position to guarantee bills will not go up even further. Well, of course they're going to go up. They'd love to get something on the book, and then they just steamroll it from there. Whilst we support efforts to help people save energy, we're concerned that consumers could end up footing the huge bills 
for this new strategy, he said. Of course they're going to pay for it. That's what we're for. The cattle are for that. Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. I'm Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix. You know, I often warn uh, the U.S. of the coming socialist healthcare system because it's all been done before in the flagship for everything, which is Britain, the U.K. That's where everything is tried in advance, and then it's passed on to every other country. Don't forget that when they set up the the League of Nations, then the United Nations, the United Nations said itself that they would use the British Commonwealth system, which they used to call the Empire, all the countries within that Commonwealth, they'd use that as the nucleus, basically, to build a new world order with free trade and free travel of uh, labor. But, it was, of course, it was required labor only. They had it then, not just anybody that wanted to travel. And that's the embryo for the whole thing. And it's been copied to the letter. So the U.S. has got some things to look forward to. Yet they've got, they're starting to get the poverty of Britain as they all lose everything they've ever owned. And they're becoming a bit apathetic in those areas that used to have some cash and factories uh, before the, the same governments that you keep re-electing uh, uh, made sure they all went off to China through the GATT Treaty. They knew exactly what was going to happen. They knew exactly that we're turning it into a, a service economy, a non-productive economy. They knew they were setting up China to be the manufacturer since the West had been training the Chinese engineers for 30 years before they even had a factory to work in. Now they have all the ones that used to be ours, uh, that moved lock, stock and barrel, paid by the taxpayer, by the way, under the GATT Treaty. We paid them to move all the international corps that lived in the U.S., Canada, and Europe. We paid them to move to China. We paid for their setup, the retooling. And we pay for 10 years until they start making their profits or declare that they are making enough profit. Not a bad deal. And what happened at that time? Where were all the public when that was happening? Uh, well, they were, again, they were watching much music and movies and having a, a good old time to themselves. That's where they were. Just like that's where they are now, most of them. Now, here's the, what the U.S. still has to look forward to. It's the British system of uh, uh, socialized health care, where they tax you an incredible amount of money for very little in return. And this article is from Mail Online, March the 6th. Neglected by lazy nurses, man 22 years of age dies of thirst, and he rang the police to beg for water before he died. Uh, a man of 22 died in agony of dehydration after three days in a leading teaching hospital. Kane Gorney was so desperate for a drink that he rang police to beg for their help. They arrived in the ward only to be told by doctors that everything was under control. The next day his mother Rita Cronin found him delirious and he died within hours. She said nurses had failed to give him vital drugs which controlled fluid levels in his body. He was totally dependent on the nurses to help him and they totally betrayed him. A coroner has such grave concerns about the case that has been referred to police. 
Sources say they're investigating the possibility of a corporate manslaughter charge against St George's Hospital in Tooting, South London. Mr Gorney from Balham worked for Waitrose and he had been a keen footballer and runner until he was diagnosed with a brain tumour the year before his death. The medications he took caused his bones to weaken and he was admitted to St George's for a hip replacement in May last year. The operation left him immobile and unable to get out of bed. His 50-year-old mother says he needed to take drugs three times a day to regulate his hormones. Doctors had told him that without the drugs he'd die. Although he had stressed to staff how important his medication was, she said no one gave him his medication. <laughs> That's socialist healthcare. She said that two days after the hip operation, while Miss Cronin was at work, he became severely dehydrated, but his requests for water were refused. He became aggressive and nurses called in security guards to restrain him. The guy's fighting for his life. After they had left, he rang the police from his bed to demand their help. Miss Cronin, who was divorced from her son's father, Peter said, the police told me, he said, please help me, all I want is a drink and no one is helping me. By this time, my son was confused due to his lack of medication. He also got delirious through uh, dehydration, by the way. And I think the nurses just ignored him because they thought he was just being badly behaved. Well, that's how you're supposed to be in a socialist system. You do what you're told and you shut up, you see. Or they'll they'll give you a drug, all right, but it'll put you to sleep. That evening, Miss Cronin visited him. She said, I told him to behave himself because I thought he'd been causing trouble. I feel so bad about, about that now. I thought maybe he was having a bad reaction to the morphine he was on, but in fact it was because he had not had his medication. Next morning, she visited him before going to work. He was delirious and his mouth was open. She said, I gave him a drink of Ribena. That's a sort of fruit juice. I told three nurses there was something wrong with my son, and they said, he's fine, and walked away. <laughs> I started to cry, and the locum doctor who was there told me not to worry. Ha, 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 again. Eventually, the ward doctor came round. I wonder if they found any that speak English. Eventually, the ward doctor came round, took one look at the cane, and started talk, uh, shouting for help. Miss Crone was asked to leave her son's bedside. He died an hour later, she said. I didn't even realise he was dying. I didn't even have a chance to say goodbye. This certificate said Mr. Gorney had died because of a water deficit and hypernatremia, a medical term for dehydration. He hadn't been given any fluids since he'd been in. Now, I've read articles before from that wonderful system that they're going to bring across the world, and they're actually doing it. And... Uh, with a guy who actually died in one of the waiting rooms uh, after three days as well, he couldn't move, and he forgot he was there, and and on and on it goes. So, so many cases, one after another. Why? Because you see, socialism, as as it is now today, uh, is is designed not to help the public. You've got a political agenda at work when the government runs your healthcare. They will make sure that the abortion wards go great guns because that's a political agenda is to reduce the population. The sterilization, that kind of thing, fast, 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 no, no problem at all. But if you want major surgery for anything, you might wait years and generally you'll just die waiting for them. And then even if you get the operation done, you'll probably die like this poor guy died here because they won't give you a drink and you go delirious and then you'll just drop dead as they're all saying to your relatives that you're fine. That's a system of totalitarian control because really Britain is under and always has been under a form of totalitarian control with bureaucracies and governments all working together. It's disgusting.
Disgusting. And heads never roll. They never roll for any of this stuff. Remember I read that one a few months back too, apart from the guy who was left in the, the room and they forgot and he died. But there was also another one where a guy had a, that was it's Canada here, um, he had a coronary and the wife drove him to the hospital and they wouldn't admit him because she had driven him to the hospital and the paramedics were just across the way from the door and they was told they'd have to go and call uh, an ambulance before they could admit him quickly. That's socialism again, you see. Yep. There's no common sense. In, see, there's no humanity in socialism. It's all paperwork and rules. You see? And eventually you get the lazy staff, the same as you had in the Soviet system. And the Soviet system, I read that one last week too, where relatives in Britain were taking uh, the, the, the soiled linen of their relatives from the hospital home to wash it. And coming back and changing their own relatives because the staff were too darn lazy to do it. That's exactly how the Soviet system was. You had to bribe them to change someone lying in urine and feces. You had to bribe the staff to do it. Great, great Britain, eh? The flagship for the world. That the whole world order is to be based on. The birthplace of the world order. Disgusting. Now I also have some articles here which will show you uh, articles that are very much in vogue. They have terms and buzzwords in bureaucracies and the foundations which work with them too. And one of the buzzwords now is reinventing. They're always reinventing things. Now, when Bush uh, Jr. came out with the new freedom, you see, he was reinventing freedom. It's a new definition. Let's go back even further with the New Deal under FDR. The New Deal was our legal uh, declaration to the public that the old constitutional system was dead. Here is the New Deal. That was our legal declaration, reinventing government. And I'm going to put some articles on reinventing Britain, Department of Government Arts Propaganda. That's and it's from the Arts Council. It shows you how the government, as I've told you before, through its Arts Council and its Department of Culture, pays the novelists, the screenwriters, and all the artists and painters and all the rest what to do. They live off the government purse as long as they go along with the agenda because we, we are just monkeys. We mimic what we see, what actors and actresses do. We are brainwashed by the propaganda industry of the culture creators. So I'll put that up, Reinventing Britain from the Arts Council. And how they, they fund the politically correct artists, again, from the Arts Council. And I'll also show you Reinventing Europe by the Brotherhood. It's actually called the document The Brotherhood of Lawyers. And they go into the history of how they've worked for centuries to get Europe united and how they're doing it. And there's a lot of documentation at their site and links from the site. It's their own site. It's not, it's, these aren't consp- I don't go into conspiracies. I'm giving you the stuff that they put out themselves. Reinventing the British Commonwealth is another one, too, to show you they're all on board with this world agenda, globalization, and how the whole world's going to benefit from globalization as we all go down the tubes into austerity and poverty. And there's another article, too, on Marxism Australia. I'll put up. 
from their own site to show you how, how they're alive and well. They're alive and well in Canada too because, you see, they don't know it themselves, the little followers at the bottom, but their bosses are all in bed with the internationalist bankers, always have been. Who do you think put Karl Marx up? He didn't work a day in his life when he lived in London. And also that Obama closes the International Labour Comparison Office. Uh, that's what you always had to compare your wages with other countries and say, bye, we're, we're, doing, we're, we're doing pretty good here, aren't we? Well, you see, now you won't as they start bringing down the wages and you, you'll eventually be down to the same levels as the wonderful model state for the United Nations, which is China, by the time they're finished with you. So I'll put these up, as I say, at cuttingthroughthematrix.com, and you can download them yourself and have a little deco. A deco is a peak, if you don't understand that word. Now, another one article here, too, is about the, the degradation in society. You find that when everything is going down the tubes and the public become despondent and even workers become despondent. That's why you see these things happening in hospitals and so on as they fire all the qualified staff and bring in nursing assistants, leave one staff nurse on who's run off her feet, and uh, things just go down the tubes. By the way, that's slated for the U.S. as well. And actually, it's actually happening in a lot of hospitals in the U.S., especially the ones that get a lot of government uh, aid for the poor areas. A paramedic who told his colleague not to bother resuscitating a, a, a 30 stone weight man is jailed, says the 5th of March 2010. A paramedic was jailed for 12 months today after being found guilty of telling a series of lies when he failed to resuscitate a 30 stone man. Jurors held that Carl Harris, 45, told his Lex experienced colleague there was no point in attempting to resuscitate Barry Baker after the pair were sent to his home in Brighton, East Sussex, in the early hours of the morning. The 59-year-old patient who lived alone phoned 999 after experiencing breathing difficulties at 4.14am on November 29th and died after suffering a cardiopulmonary arrest. Jurors at Lewes Crown Court took just over four hours to find Harris guilty of a charge of perverting the course of justice today. What did he actually do? Well, I told the other guy that was helping him, there's no point, won't, won't bother, I've seen this before, blah, 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 blah. And they didn't bother lifting a finger to see if they could resuscitate the guy. So that's the sort of stuff that happens again when you're all on this guaranteed paycheck by the state, otherwise known as socialism. He goes down the tube. Mind you, it depends who you are too. Plus, by the way, when you're in the hospitals in the socialist system uh, and you have a heart problem at all and you're put into a cardiac ward, they label you, they list you A, B, C, and so on, on your chart to see if two go into the cardiac arrest at the same time. If you happen to be B, B or C, then you won't get resuscitated. A must do it because he's of more value to the society and community than you happen to be. I'm not kidding. I read the article about two or three years ago on the air about that as well. You have no idea what's coming down. And the schmucks that, that really think they're going to get a better deal out of this the ones who are poor are going to get they're going to get their fright their lives they're not even going to get the care they can get now for free not even that because under Obama's plan a lot of these these hospitals will be closing their doors altogether and renting them out for elderly care and stuff like that they're already doing that in some surgical wards in the states 
and even the walk-in clinics in the States are going to get cut back and cut back and cut back. That's in the RAND report for Obama. And they still call America one of the richest countries in the world. And that's why they really tax the, the bitches out of you until there's nothing left at all. This article here, I mentioned that Reinventing the Commonwealth is quite an interesting article. There's two there, but there's one here I'll read. And it's, it's um, put out by Penn Street, London, blah, blah, blah. Supported by the Royal Commonwealth Society. That's again, they all, the leaders all belong to the Royal Institute for International Affairs, Council on Foreign Relations. 9th of November, and this was back in 1999. This major new report sets out the new reform agenda for the 21st century Commonwealth. This final project report launched in South Africa builds on the Centre's influential report, Making the Commonwealth Matter. Look out, the Commonwealth can take forward the agenda of the Durban CHOGM to create a modern, effective and relevant organisation which can help its members to thrive in the 21st century. Then the report is down below. Project was supported by the Royal Commonwealth Society. And it's got reinventing the Commonwealth, making globalisation deliver for people, making shared values effective. It means a whole new culture for the world, because obviously your values differ depending on how you, where you live. The People's Commonwealth enable, enabling civil society, uh, getting the Commonwealth across to the rest of the, the world, basically. And it says here, as the Commonwealth seeks to reinvent itself for the 21st century, this report sets out a radical reform, radical reform agenda to turn the Commonwealth into an internationally recognized standard for good governance. Is that governance against no more government, you see, and growth. The Commonwealth kite mark, they call it, could offer members of vital edges to compete for investment and trade, but Commonwealth countries will have to live up to their shared values and deal with abuses to make reforms pay off. Defining a new Commonwealth consensus, again, everything is consensus building, that's why it never goes out to the general public, only to top politicians, to see if they're on board with all of the agenda. That's how things are really done quietly in this world. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, this is Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix and we'll, we'll go to the phones now and there's Joe from California. Are you there, Joe? Hello, Joe? Yeah, yes, Alan. How are you? Uh, thank you for taking my call. Um, I started listening to your show a couple months ago and it, it really has been eye-opening. Uh, I want to thank you for everything that you've been doing here. Um, I've been downloading a lot of your past shows too. and I just wanted to there's so many things I'd like to talk to you about, but one of which, which you sort of addressed with this uh, carbon credit nonsense that's been going on and the scam they're trying to pull on us here. Um, I keep hearing about all these derivatives that have been plunging us into this economic mess, these credit mm-hmm. default swaps and so forth and so on, whatever they call them. Do you have any idea who is owed all this money? The What it goes down to, who's running the whole thing? Remember, it was Al Gore and uh, Lord Rothschild had set this up. 
And in fact, uh, Al Gore was the first one to set up a derivative company, and even his own carbon taxes are paid right back into his own corporation, so it costs him nothing, actually benefits off it. But all the money is to go through before it gets to the IMF for the carbon trading schemes goes through uh, the bank in Switzerland, uh, the Rothschilds private bank. And Lord Rothschild uh, uh, talked about that. I read the article from the newspapers, mainstream, about uh, a month, two months back there. And Lord Rothschild said that the, these, ta- these carbon taxes for the entire planet will go through and be held by his bank for a period of time. Of course, that means if you get billions going through every day from all over the world, uh, that's an awful lot of interest he collects on it. And then it gets sent off to its various other sources, the, the IMF and all the rest of it. Uh, that's supposed to put it through the United Nations departments and distribute it supposedly again through the, the economic development corporations uh, in the IMF to the UN to the different countries. Of course, it's not going to get there because I've already said they don't want to bring up the third world countries. In fact, they're forbidding the third world countries from even using coal to start any kind of industry. Remember, they don't have much industry or, or they're just starting off. And so they don't want them to be high industry. In fact, I read an article again about two weeks ago, three weeks ago, where um, some little hospital there has allowed one solar panel. That's what they've advocated. They'll run maybe um, a cell phone to, to recharge it, or they can use it for one other thing, maybe to last an hour before the batteries go out. Um, this is the farce of it all. It's going in to, to set up more bureaucracies over the world for world governance. That's what it's called, governance, yeah. Yeah, I, I just want to yeah, and thank you again. I've been telling people to listen to your uh, pod, the podcasts and and recordings, you know, especially of the, the the times like the the dates when you've talked about these uh, carbon credit scam that's been going on that they're trying to perpetrate on us. I mean, it's just yeah, it's it's the big stick. You see, a, a threat of. Um uh, global annihilation and with the pay through the nose and it's really a form of bringing total control over the entire world into a new system altogether that Carl Quigley, Professor Quigley said himself is a kind of new feudal system with private corporations and governments in bed together uh, a type of new fascism you might call it and, um, and it's all based on fear yeah it's here actually and that's what all the climate scam and fear is all about. It's all lies. It's been exposed over and over. But it doesn't matter. Uh, they're not going to change their agenda. They've put all their eggs in one basket, and we're going through with it. And the, the world will be standardized into utter poverty. That's it. Yep. But thanks for calling, Joe. Yep. And call again. Yep. From Hamish and myself in Ontario, Canada, it's good night. I mean, your God, all your gods go with you.